And then you really start to think about, okay, so it's, it's just these, these bad bacteria. So if we just get rid of them, if we just brush our teeth, that's all that it is, right? And then you understand that they are always there. All of these different types of organisms, P. gingivalis, strep mutans, and even candida albicans are always present in our mouth, always. So it all depends on how many of them are present. Welcome to Gut Check Radio the health and wellness podcast, giving you the confidence to trust in your gut. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Belden, a board-certified chiropractic physician and functional medicine practitioner. And just for those of you who are aware, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only and are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition and do not apply any of this information you hear in this podcast without first speaking with your physician. Do the bacteria from your mouth travel to your gut? What's up, everyone? Dr. Nick here. Now, on today, we have a very exciting episode of a listener question, and I thought this was a really, really good topic, and it was something I've been actually meaning to explore and think about. So this was a great opportunity for us to learn more about this, and hopefully for you out there listening, if you've ever thought about this, to understand really what's the story and what's going on, you know, in the gut check moment of this question. So we got a listener question who said, I heard something on TikTok, which... You know, there's some good information on TikTok, actually, more than people give it credit for. But a lot of it is, you know, hyperbolic statements. But let's get back to it. I heard something on TikTok saying we should brush our teeth first thing in the morning because overnight we build up bad bacteria in our mouths and we don't want that bacteria washing down into our gut. I love this question. And to answer it, I want to really start off with addressing kind of each each part of the question in, in different segments. The first thing I want to touch on is the idea that we build up bad bacteria in our mouths overnight. What, who are these bad bacteria? And if they're bad, where do they come from? And there's really, when we're talking about oral health and the oral microbiome, you know, we, everyone talks about the gut microbiome, but we also have a microbiome in our mouths that is incredibly impactful on our health, particularly our ability to get cavities, gingivitis, et cetera. And there are two big players. I mean, there are many, actually, we're talking about three players, three different types of organisms in the process of, you know, potentially bad bacteria. And one of them is not even a bacteria. The first one is called P. gingivalis. And what's funny is sometimes when you hear the name of these bacteria, you sort of realize what it's doing. So it has the name gingivalis because there's the gingiva, which is what we think of as the gums. And that's a particular bacteria that's been very well studied for its association with periodontal disease. And what this is, this is sort of a really advanced form of cavities, and it's, it's much more severe than just traditional cavities. And P. gingivalis has been identified as one of the really keystone bacteria that contributes to that disease. But then when we talk about cavities, which is far more common than periodontal disease, we're talking about two in particular. One is strep mutans. So a lot of people have heard of strep throat infection. This is a a different species of streptococcus, but strep mutans has often been associated with cavities. And also another yeast, another fungus that a lot of people have heard of called candida albicans. There's actually some really interesting research that talks about candida albicans being implicated in cavities. And then you really start to think about, okay, so it's it's just these, these bad bacteria. So if we just get rid of them, if we just brush our teeth, that's all that it is, right? And then you understand that they are always there. All of these different types of organisms, P. gingivalis, strep mutans, and even candida albicans are always present in our mouth, always. 
So it all depends on how many of them are present. I'm going to use the analogy of a teeter-totter. We all probably have played on it as a kid, or I don't even know. I haven't been to a, an elementary school in a while, so I don't know if teeter-totters are even still around. But what you have is this idea of, of weight shifting. And on one end, if one child is heavier than the other, it will automatically go down to that end of the teeter-totter. But if both people are of equal weight, it will oscillate back and forth. It'll go up and down. And what happens is in the oral cavity teeter-totter, when any one of these bacteria, P. gingivalis, strep mutans, or the fungus candida albicans are allowed to overgrow and they're allowed to outweigh the good bugs, that's when problems happen. So they're always there, but when the teeter-totter becomes shifted in their favor versus our beneficial microbes, that's when we start to get the potential buildup of bacteria or of a not safe or not, excuse me, not great environment for bacteria in the mouth. And we run into things like cavities, gingivitis, periodontal disease, etc. And the idea that these bad bacteria build up in our mouths overnight, I also want to address because time not eating or time fasting, AKA hopefully what you're doing overnight is actually very restorative for the mouth as it allows saliva, which when you wake up, if you're like, oh, I drooled, a lot of that saliva and saliva actually is incredibly antimicrobial, but it's very selective in being antimicrobial to the bugs we don't want, yet allowing the bugs we do want to survive to survive. So saliva builds up in our mouths overnight and it actually cleans house within the environment. So if time between meals or fasting is actually very beneficial for our mouths and to my view actually decreases the likelihood that there would be a buildup of these bad bacteria in our mouths. And then we next go to the stomach because if something is going to get into our mouth, you know, did it, did it come from the gut or did it go from the mouth to the gut? When we think about the human stomach, it is the most acidic environment on the planet and for good reason. And what that means, we're going to go back to high school biology or even high school chemistry. I forget what class it was, probably chemistry of the idea of pH or the potential of hydrogen. And we know that human blood is anywhere around 7.4. And the pH of most human stomachs is somewhere between one and a half to two. It will destroy anything it comes in contact with, and for good reason, so it's meant to digest and break down our food. And our stomach is actually most acidic when we're not eating, because when we eat food, food is less acidic than our stomach. So when we eat food, it actually raises the pH of our stomach, and it becomes less acidic. It probably becomes more in the area of around five to five and a half on the pH scale. But when we don't eat overnight and there's no food in the stomach, the pH of the stomach is allowed to drop. And that sets up our stomach for digesting and absorbing food when it comes next. And the other important thing is most bacteria, particularly most bad bacteria, can't survive in that acidic of an environment. So even if we did swallow some from our mouth into our gut, a lot of them we're going to talk about some that may be actual to survive. A lot of them aren't going to survive that journey. So our stomach is one of our amazing defense mechanisms to both keep our gut safe from any potential environmental triggers or organisms or et cetera. And if any bug does survive the acidic nature of the stomach, really it's my belief that that means evolution has deemed that bug to be particularly important. But we know there are various things in our lifestyle and nutritional habits that can actually interrupt that acidity and make our stomach less acidic and potentially making us more likely 
to have these bacteria that can travel from our mouth all the way to our gut. And that's going to be things such as chronic use of proton pump inhibitors. So any of your Zols and Meprazole, I forget the, obviously I'm not a prescribing physician, so I'm not immediately remembering the names, but any Zol, any proton pump inhibitor, any antacid is going to disrupt normal physiology of the pH of the stomach. H. pylori, which is an infection that can happen within the stomach. It's actually the number one cause of stomach ulcers controversial as to if it just should be eradicated in everybody or in some people it might be normal from my experience in some people it does cause symptoms and in some people it's normal that's where it takes working with a clinician to understand which more situation of you also we know excess perceived stress can contribute to acidity problems within the stomach particularly because we need the activation of the vagus nerve to initiate stomach acid production and if we're in a hyper stressed more sympathetically dominant environment from a physiological perspective, we're setting up our stomach to be less acidic, less likely to break down and digest food, and also less likely to destroy pathogens we don't want. And also hormonally, we know thyroid is incredibly important for normal stomach acid physiology. So if you have not even just low thyroid, but if you have a situation where your body isn't receptive to the amount of thyroid hormone that you're producing, that will interfere with the natural acidity of the stomach as well. A couple other things I want to talk about in context of what could allow these bad bacteria to grow in our mouths. I've had the pleasure to learn from and work with a lot of myofunctional therapists who really specialize in the function of the musculature around the mouth and the musculature and the function, the biomechanics of breathing. And from what they've told me, people that either have sleep apnea, snore, or are very predominant mouth breathers at night have more cavities because a lot of them are also dental hygienists. So they find that they have more cavities, their gums bleed easier. So they have more gingivitis or inflammation of the gums. So that's also something you want to keep in mind is what are your breathing patterns like at night? Ideally, we want to be able to breathe, be able to breathe through our nose. Some people have so much congestion that they can't even do that. So you really want to unpack, can I breathe out of my nose? And if I can't, what is the reason and what are the stressors preventing me from doing so? We also know that metabolic health and how insulin sensitive versus how insulin resistant you are will play a huge indication into the type of bacteria that you have not only in your gut but also in your mouth and the more insulin resistant you are the more metabolic health is under stress for you so we know that diabetics they actually have more incidence of bleeding gums and it's actually harder for them to heal that process because diabetes is a disease of the microvasculature, particularly within the gums as well. So they can't heal that as well. So we know diabetics don't heal, particularly in the mouth as well, partially because of the dysbiotic or that teeter-totter of more bad bacteria than good bacteria. So if you have great metabolic health, you have good energy throughout the day, you don't get incredibly fatigued with meals, you can sort of assume that your metabolic health is functioning well enough. Not to address the rest of that question, the idea that they're washing down into our gut. And I did some digging into this, and it actually is common for bacteria from our mouth to what's called translocate or move into the colon in those that have very severe digestive diseases, namely things like inflammatory bowel disease or even GERD, which could be very intimately related to H. pylori. So there we have that connection again. And we also know that in those people who have liver cirrhosis, which liver cirrhosis commonly attributed to alcohol consumption and and or poor metabolic health when they they did a stool sample in those with liver cirrhosis and they found that more than half 
of the microbial species involved in that sample are actually from the mouth. So for whatever reason, people that have very severe liver dysfunction or very severe GI dysfunction, there's a disruption in the environment that prevents bacteria from our mouth from being in our colon, and it allows them to start moving and translocating and buying up real estate. And even in, uh, even in this market, everyone's getting a house. No, I'm kidding. Even, even the problematic bacteria. And we also know that those with a condition called periodontis, or, or excuse me, periodontitis, and you can tell I'm not a dental expert, periodontitis, they actually, they do swallow a fair amount of that P. gingivalis organism each day. But again, we don't know if these people with periodontitis have underlying metabolic dysfunction, have underlying H. pylori, or have underlyingly been on PPIs for a while. We don't know if they have subsequent disruptors that's allowing P. gingivalis to make its way into the colon. But we do know that P. gingivalis, I mentioned earlier, that most bugs can't survive the acidity of the stomach. P. gingivalis might be able to. It's said to be acid resistant, meaning it can survive the environment of the stomach. So in theory, it could survive the harsh pH of the stomach. But if evolution deemed it to be acid resistant, it's probably important enough to be able to pass its way through the stomach and into the colon. That's where we get into this idea of it's more than just one bacteria causes a disease. And very rarely is it ever just one thing causing uh, your whole myriad of issues. It's always a combination of things happening in your life. But to that end, those people who have suffered from a condition called NAFLD or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is really the end stage consequence of potential diabetes, metabolic syndrome, and metabolic dysfunction, were 300% more likely to have P. gingivalis in their stools compared to healthy people, which further reinforces the idea that poor metabolic health ending in poor liver health will lead to a disruption in our body's natural defense mechanisms and allow for these bacteria from our mouth to actually get their way into the gut. This listener asked if it was more likely to happen overnight. What we actually know from physiology is you're more likely to swallow these bacteria when you're eating. Because as you're eating, you're mixing up the bacteria are being exposed to different food and they feed off of our food just as much as we do. And so they're allowed to survive and thrive in that environment. So as you're not eating overnight, you're less likely to create environment where a lot of these bacteria can grow and thus less likely for them to actually move from your mouth into your gut. So again, fasting overnight is actually a very protective mechanism from allowing those quote unquote bad bacteria to get into our gut. Then as you think about the idea of teeth brushing and what strategy is that accomplishing, it's really accomplishing mechanical debridement, or it's trying to get rid of stuff on the surface of the teeth. And we know that a lot of times you need more than that. And bacteria can grow or organisms can grow in the gingiva, or as we know now, the gums, which are going to be less impacted by brushing your teeth. That's where the old adage of, of flossing your teeth or even using a water pick or a soft pick to get in between the teeth and get to the layer of the gums. If you can get rid of some of that leftover food, you can potentially get rid of some of the fuel for some of these bacteria that could contribute to gingivitis, periodontal disease, etc. And it's beyond the scope of this podcast and this episode for me to talk about the ingredients of toothpaste and what are the best for getting rid of things, you know, is hydroxyapatite great? Should I completely avoid fluoride? You know, that's 
a great question and a great topic, one that requires a more thorough space and thorough understanding of it. But my general thought is I only brush my teeth at night. And after learning all this, that actually further reinforced that. Because to me, if you brush your teeth at night and then overnight as you fast, you're not eating, so you're not creating an environment for bacteria, bad bacteria in your mouth to survive, and you're creating saliva overnight that's killing off any potential bad bacteria acting as an antimicrobial, there's no reason for me to then brush my teeth again in the morning because I haven't eaten. And I, will, I actually have been meaning to talk to a dentist about that very topic and see if, if there's really any merit. I know that conventional wisdom is brush your teeth twice a day. I think a lot of that comes from the morning. People are just more likely to do it then. So it's just, it's easier for them to do it then versus multiple times throughout the day. To me, it makes more sense. You would actually want to brush your teeth after every meal versus at night you sleep, you don't eat, and then you brush your teeth again in the morning when you haven't eaten. To me, that actually doesn't really make sense. And then in closing, what strategies should you be using for maintaining your oral health? And again, that's a, a large topic that many podcasts have done a fantastic job of covering. And outside of the six pillars of health, of, nu of nutrition, your movement practices, your nourishment habits, or excuse me, your restoration habits of sleep hygiene, meditation, et cetera, outside of community engagement, outside of time and reflection, time in nature, and outside of having time for self-growth and self-development. You know, so many things I look, I look through the lens of those six things, but I know that's boring for six of a podcast and people are like, we already know that, tell us something fun. So outside of those six really foundational pillars, actually adequate phytochemicals from our foods and particularly antioxidants from polyphenol rich fruits and vegetables are doing a fantastic job as acting as antimicrobial and actually very supportive for the gum and dental environment. But I will say something to that end is I've previously worked with a holistic dentist. Gosh, he was fantastic. And he told me, and I thought this was so insightful, he told me that his vegan patients had the, quote, worst teeth he's ever seen. And I, I remember listening to that, and then I asked him about his habits, and he said he ate once a day, he said he still drank coffee, which is really good for me to, for me to hear. And he said he ate once a day because he echoed the, what I just said earlier is every time you fast, you're taking away the fuel that could be feeding the bugs in your mouth. It could be problematic. And I think he might've taken that a little too far. And I think the reason that his vegan patients might've had the worst teeth he, he's seen was I think that could have been a proxy for overdoing heavily vegan processed foods. I've had a lot of friends or people I know that are vegan that eat a lot of their things out of boxes and packages. There's a right way to do vegan and there's the processed way. And I also think the reason this dentist was observing that was because people weren't eating enough protein. And we know having enough protein beyond just its benefit for muscle building and metabolic health is its benefit for immune health. Our immunoglobulins and even saliva is made up of proteins, most fundamentally so, and enzymes. So enzymes are made of amino acids, which come from the dietary protein we eat. So if you're not eating enough of that, of course you're not gonna have enough of the repair mechanisms and enough of the defense mechanisms to keep some of these potentially bad bacteria in the mouth away. And lastly, in closing, I touched on this earlier, but if you have poor insulin sensitivity or poor metabolic health, that's going to be one of your biggest heavy hitters to go after in terms of approving, excuse me, improving the health of your oral microbiome and your oral health in general.
Thank you all for trusting me to be a part of your day. If you enjoyed the show and found it informative or entertaining, we invite you to share the love by leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform of choice or by sharing this episode with your family and friends. And until next time, trust in your gut.